This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Bill. Oh, Cornerstone, uh, yeah, so good to be with you. Greetings from your sister churches throughout uh, I, the western United States, especially the California churches. We rejoice every time we hear a report of what God is doing here in Knoxville. Thanks as well for receiving all of our refugees from the, the Bear Republic during COVID, fleeing the tyranny of sunshine and <laughs> the Pacific Coast. Oh, how, can, how much can a brother really endure? I'll be back in Los Angeles this afternoon. Please, please pray for me. <laughs> Oh, kidding aside, thanks. Uh, well, if I could just say from, from all the denominations leaders and particularly the leadership team of Sovereign Grace Churches, just extend our deep, my deep, our deep profound gratitude for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, we count you and your pastors and leaders, we really do, as some of the finest on the planet. You got it going on. This has been such a great trip. Thanks for sharing Andrew and Lauren Maples with me and your granddaughter. Uh, thanks for inspiring us to reach the college campuses, to invest in young leaders. Tommy Hill is here, a member of the leadership team who travels all over the world helping local churches how to, how to be good stewards of our finances, including our uh, local church in Orange, California, and most of all, Pastor Bill. Bill, listen, from all the young guys like me and myself who need old guys like Bill, to coach and mentor and uh, teach model uh, what it looks like to be a faithful, courageous, joyful, generous, ordinary pastor. Uh, thanks for sharing him with us. I'm, I'm not qualified to tell Bill what to do, and he, I've tried. He doesn't listen to me anyways. Uh, but I, I think the world of him, and uh, I'm praying. I know you're praying, but join me in praying. I, I think, I think Bill's future may be more fruitful than the past. Uh, I was standing there this morning just wondering, how can I get 10 more of young guys like me? Don't let my beard fool you. I'm 27. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Find a bunch of guys to spend time with Bill. So Thanks for, I feel like my heart grew three times larger this week uh, just because I got to share a little bit of you. Uh, so thank you. Uh, if you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, this morning I want to consider a, a familiar passage with you. Uh, nothing new or novel. The Apostle Paul defending his apostleship, explaining to the earliest church what it is that God has commissioned him to do, what he was doing, and by implication what we are to do as well. And, and I, I want you to watch as we read it here in a moment, read, as we read the text. Watch, look out for all the therefores. It's an interesting text, all the therefores. There are more therefores per square inch right here in our passage than the, the rest of the entire book, both letters to the Corinthians. This is one of those, what, what, what's the meaning of my life kind of passages. You can, you can use it as your therefore. Paul's ap apology, his argument for why he's an apostle, that serves doubly as our commission as Christians and a church like Cornerstone. So would you look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 11. 
translator heading reads appropriately, the ministry of reconciliation, verse 11. I'll read them, pray. Paul writes, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what's in the heart. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may not no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From thou on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, Jesus, was made, made, I'm sorry, for he, the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, the Son, we might become the righteousness of God. The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer? Father, Father, help us. Take, take these words and with your spirit, change us. Open our eyes. Don't let us leave here the same way we arrived. Help me serve friends. Glorify your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. America, if you haven't noticed, America is bored. We're bored. Recent studies indicate that on average, the typical American experiences boredom 131 days out of each year. I don't know who they are, but they're, they're out there. Scientists have been begun studying this because they already know how bad boredom is for us and for our society. And if you're wondering how they measure boredom, well, let me tell you how funny it is. This is how they measure boredom. One prominent researcher shows people a video clip that, that he calls the most boring video ever, designed to bore most people, he says, to tears. Listen, this is the video. Two men stand in a white, windowless room, Silently, they take clothes from a pile between them and hang it on a white rack. A shirt, a sweater, a sock, underwear. The seconds tick by. 
15 seconds, 20 seconds, 45 seconds, 60 seconds. The men keep hanging laundry. 80 seconds. One of the men asks the other for a clothespin. 100 seconds later, they're continuing to hang laundry. 200 seconds, they keep hanging laundry. 300 seconds, they keep hanging laundry. Shown on a loop, the video can last for as long as five and a half minutes. And unsurprisingly, the study's participants found it stupefyingly, he says, dull. They'd answer yes to the researcher's question. And here's the standard. I am stuck stuck in a situation that I feel is irrelevant. That's my entire academic experience. I am (laughs) stuck in a situation that I feel is irrelevant. They, They are clinically, at that point, bored. Which, funny enough, is how I feel when I watch like the LA Rams play uh, clinically bored. <laughs> but, but how about us, the church? Church, are we bored? Are you bored? You might be bored. How, how would you answer the question, I, I, yes or no, I am stuck in a situation that I feel is irrelevant? I understand that you're studying, beginning next week, study the book of Acts, uh, and you considered the Great Commission last week, and my task in between is quite simple, to remind us all, again, how unboring, unboring this thing is that you and I are called to. A life that is really full of wonder, worthy of devoting everything we have to it, uh, to pledge ourselves to, body and soul. If you want to have, listen, if you want to have and I want to have the staying power that will sustain me for the rest of my life to play my part, for you to play your part, as we're all swept into God's redemptive purposes and plans, even here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and around the world, we must, for our own good and God's glory, Marvel. We got to be able to marvel at our mission. When we read like we read today, God is making his appeal through us. Our first questions cannot be, should not be, when and where, let's get out a map and get this thing done. But rather, why? Why? This may be a familiar text to you, but let's all ask why again. Why would God be making his appeal? Making an appeal at all? Why, Why is this even a thing? Why would God, listen, why would God be making an appeal and still saving people? This is the marvelous part of God's mission. This is the marvelous part that that is so often overlooked. God making his appeal to sinful men through sinful men and women and children like you and I. Forgiveness for every sin. That's the mission we're on. Salvation for everyone who will receive and believe the Son, relenting then and repenting, experiencing the beginnings of the new creation and the created order, and then joining us, you, Cornerstone, and Sovereign Grace Church of Orange in marveling at this all over again like a video loop that this is even a thing at all. The marvelous mission of God. Look with me again. I want to ask three questions this morning. They're questions right out of the text, beginning with verse 11. The first of the three questions, number one, why why would God persuade? Why is God persuading? Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, 
we persuade others. Stop right there. This is, this is interesting business that the Apostle Paul is conducting. For on one hand, he is in no way communicating. Listen, he's no way communicating that he's attempting to impress the Corinthians or sell them on something with a slick presentation and an innovative argument. No, no, quite the opposite. That's why this text is here in the first place. He is contrasting himself with the other so-called super apostles of the time, which the Corinthians had been wowed by attracted to. That's why he continues in the ver- middle of verse 11. But what we know is not, what we are is known to God. I'm pers- I'm, we're persuading, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience, not your expectations, not your standards, but internally, spiritually, as we're discerning in our hearts, the power of God at work through the plain cr- preaching of Christ and Christ crucified is being authenticated. That's what Paul's saying. We're persuading, but it's being authenticated in our hearts as we're watching. Verse 12 again, we're not commending ourselves to you, Paul writes, even though he's persuading, but giving you cause to boast about us. Stop there again, boast about us. That's more like, listen, this is what's going on, more like boasting about the work of God through Paul and his associates in spite of Paul and his associates. The Corinthians, Paul is saying, if they were honest and they thought about it for just a moment, would admit, as he explained himself in the last chapter, chapter four, this is how Paul sees himself, they would be honest and say the same, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, speaking of themselves, and you, Cornerstone as well to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Or I love how one scholar translates that verse. He says, we have been made a theater show for the world. We have been made a theater show for the world. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again. Verse 12, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what's in the heart. Verse 13, for if we're beside ourselves, here's Paul's approach, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. Paul is persuading. But in his persuading, he is trusting, trusting not in his power of persuasion, but in the Lord's, which then begs the question. If God is able to save, then he is. And you catch that in the little phrase, knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing that God is sovereign and does whatever he pleases, and this surely extends to his mission to ransom people, right, from every nation for his son and for his good pleasure. If that's the case, and it is, then why is he persuading at all when he could simply decree? He could simply decree. He could just do it unilaterally. He doesn't have to ask us. This is the greater glory and what causes us to marvel at this mission. He creates us, we reject him. And he doesn't simply then just flip over the game board and shake all the pieces and reset everything. He sets out, listen, this, he sets out to win us. That's what we're hearing and seeing here. He sets out to win us like a bridegroom wins his bride. All of his powers engaging all of us, head, heart, soul. I love, here's an author, Richard Phillips. This is what he says. He writes, this irresistible persuasion glorifies the entire Trinity by proving how intimately involved God is in every conversion. 
It reminds us, this irresistible persuasion. It reminds us that when we speak about God's grace, we do not mean that God sits afar, but rather God places his holy hands on our filthy hearts. With more personal contact, he writes, than any surgeon uses in operating on our bodies. God is intimately involved in saving our soul. And he writes, how sublime beyond words it is to realize that the transcendent, majestic God takes such a personal interest in every sinner who comes to faith in Christ, far from being a numberless, a nameless number in a vast crowd. Every believer has been personally ministered by God's overwhelming grace God could just drop the hammer and save some. Decree saving grace, but instead he's wooing. He's wooing. Why? Have you, have you considered this? Why would God persuade us when he's sovereign? Has no rival. You're no competition for him. He... Californians are no competition for him because, because it, it, this is why, because it's in the tension of his sovereignty and our responsibility, human responsibility, which demonstrates our dignity and reveals his glory as he persuades us, as Paul was persuaded and I have been persuaded and so many of us in the room have been persuaded. It felt like, did it feel like this for you? It felt like it was my decision, my conclusion, my salvation. As if the preacher who preached that gospel invitation just one more time and my heart and my life, it just like dissolved in a huddle of tears and relief. Maybe it was his convincing speech it's actually a Halloween outreach. A guy came out of a coffin, scared us all. <laughs> I was in high school, voted most likely to go to jail. <laughs> but no, not in the end. This is what's marvelous. We persuade, that's our calling and commission, every one of us, because it is in us as instruments of his grace that he persuades and then conquers for his greater glory. What a marvelous design. He woos us. That's not boring. We're being wooed. But number two, second question that arises, why would God love why would God love? Look again, verse 14 and following. For the love of Christ controls us, Paul writes, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And, if, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Notice, please notice Paul's explanation for why he is being poured out like a drink offering. He says, why, why, he, why does he do what he does? Why does he live like he lives and lives for? It's not located in the object of his intended hearers and receivers, those that he is persuading. He doesn't say, for the love of you, the Corinthians controls us. Or for you, the love of Knoxville controls you. Or for me, as much as I love Californians and for their sake and by grace, enduring and endless summers and cool breezes of sunshine. He doesn't say for the love of Knoxville controls Cornerstone. 
This is way better. Way better. Listen, marvel at your mission. It's not even that Paul loves Jesus so much that he is willing to persuade others. It's that God loved him in the first place. God loves us in the first. Why would he love? It's because it's who he is. Michael Reeves has an excellent book on delighting in the Trinity. He writes in comparing our God with all the other so-called gods. Here's what he says. He, here, here is a God who is not essentially lonely. Here is a God who is not essentially lonely. Or fill in the blank, bored. Looking for something to do, a hobby. Here's a God who is not essentially lonely, but who has been loving, who's been loving for all eternity as the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for God at all. He writes, it's at the root of who he is. How marvelous. That's the kind of things that will fuel your motivation for a lifetime of evangelism and to make us evangelists and, and church planting and church planting churches and parenting and small groups, community groups, and being present in the lives of our neighbors who don't respect us and we don't have time for them. They don't respect you. They don't respect your faith and they're perishing. But he loves he loves, not because we're lovely or they're lovely, but even while we were all yet his enemies, our Savior considered his saving us his delight, his joy. As the writer of Hebrews exhorts, let us run, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's this, endured the cross. There's the great commission statement. Again, it's everywhere in your Bible because your Bible is a mission book. The story of how God's saving the world. The writer of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 14, look back at our text. Here it is. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me suggest, let me suggest right here that this might be the missing factor in the life of a believer who finds it hard to make everyday, plain, ordinary decisions to be a persuasion for the lost. There it is. As one author put it, the, the root cause of our lack of engagement in God's mission is not a missions problem, but a gospel problem. We demonstrate our inaction by our interaction, inaction that we are no, no longer marveling at grace. We are unaffected by the beauty of what God has done for us in Christ. And so we live for something else. We look for another goal 
to keep us from growing bored. And we feel stuck in a situation that feels irrelevant. But not for Paul. May it not be for me or you. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's a mission statement. Want to be a pastor? Want to be a, want to be a church planner? Want to be a deacon? Want to be an evangelist? Or a parent that raises children that will trust in Christ? Or someone who lives, loves their neighbors in relative obscurity with no fanfare? No one's ever going to know what you did in Knoxville? Philip on the mystery so long hidden but now revealed God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, loving one another from before all eternity has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ who agreed with the Father to enter our dark world, live for us, die for us, and be raised out of the grave for us that he might demonstrate his love for us and save us and redeem us and reconcile us and invite him into his world as Jonathan Edwards, an old Puritan, so eloquently preached so many years ago, his world, there is in heaven this fountain of love. This eternal three in one set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it. He writes there, he's preached, there in heaven, there in heaven, this glorious God is manifest and shines forth in full glory and beams of love. There is a fountain there the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight enough for all to drink at and to swim in. Yea, he says, so as to overflow the world as if it were a deluge of love, a flood of love. How, how can we then, how can we then, if we steep our souls in this reality, hold back what God has done for us from our families and coworkers and neighbors, why choose anything else? That's why Paul writes, look, verse 16. The way he sees the world was changed forever. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we, know, regard, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded even Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Resurrection power. Paul saw dead men walking. It reminds me of an old obscure hymn that became a favorite of mine during COVID as we marched against the tyranny of California, right? Whenever I lost hope or I lost my bearings and began questioning what it was I was doing with my life, when I was sitting at home bored because we had lockdowns or whatever, this old hymn just started coming into my heart regularly. Here, here it is. I'll just, you probably have never heard it. I know that my Redeemer lives what comfort this sweet sentence gives. And you stop there. I know that my Redeemer lives what comfort this sweet sentence gives. He lives to bless me with his love. He lives to plead my cause above. He lives to crush the fiends of hell. He lives and doth within me dwell. And here comes the chorus, the best part. Shout on, pray on. We're gaining ground. The dead's alive and the lost are found. The dead's alive and the lost are found. Glory, hallelujah.
Listen, if you've lost the plot, 14, verse 18, it's right there. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So the chief and final answer to every question, especially when it comes to why he loves us in the first place, that by loving us, he would lo- we would love him and enjoy him on earth and heaven for his greater glory. That's the fuel that will fuel the furnace that warms up a church and wants to reach her beloved city, Knoxville. But that's not the last question. The last question, here it is. Why would God persuade? Why would God love? Why would God send you? Why would God send us? You got to be real here. Why us? Why you? Why me? Why the church? Why employ us now in his persuasion? There's got to be something better, right? In his loving others. What does my changed life, your changed life, have to do with anyone else's potentially, eternally changed life? How do we get into the picture? Read again, starting in verse 18, Paul writes, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's me, that's you. And here's what's marvelous about the mission. Entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, you, me, everyone whom he has ransomed are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Why? My answer is, why not? None of this fits what I expected or what we deserve. After abolishing the condemnation that would, we would have justly incurred, he turns around and offers our ransom lives, which now belong to him, as a showcase, a theater show for all the world. We are his persuasion. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. Marvel at the mechanics of this, right? Marvel, see the gears turn, how this works. Listen, whether you recognize it or not, your lives are always persuading. They're always persuading. The question is, what conclusion your life is leading others to believe? What conclusion is being drawn as by your family, your children, your wife, your husband, the ch- uh, your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, your you're still in school, classmates, the church, as they watch you, as, as God makes his appeal through you. Here's how Charles Hodge, an old theologian, this is what he calls the ministry of an ambassador. He says, an ambassador is at once a messenger and a representative. It's not just what we say, it is who we are. He does not speak in his own name. We don't speak in our own name. This isn't about me. He does not speak in his own authority. This isn't our authority. What he communicates is not his opinions or demands, 
but simply, what does the ministry of an ambassador look like? Simply what he has been told or commissioned to say. His message derives no part of its importance from the trustworthiness of the ambassador himself. But at the same time, he's more than a mere messenger. He represents the sovereign. He speaks with authority as accredited in the name of his master. Listen, people are starving for what you have. They're starving for the awe of God. They're bored. They're fidgeting. They're restless. Most don't even realize it, of course. They think they're starving for more of something, success or money or excitement or just acceptance. You name it, and you have found yourself in this generation, in this place, in this city, in this church, at such a time as this, not as a coincidence, the same for your sister churches in California, here for Knoxville, before we come and move here too. You are, you are not ultimately a husband or a wife. You're not ultimately a mother or a father. Or you're not single or married or widowed or divorced. You're not defined by how you look by what you wear, by what you do for a living, by how much you make, by where you live, by who you cheer for. Your identity is not found in your, your gender, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status. You are not defined by your past as an addict or an alcoholic or a victim of abuse or other sins by this or any way. You are not what your counselor says that you are. Your genetic makeup or your past history. You're not what your supervisor says that you are because of your present performance. You're not what your parents, that's dangerous, what your parents and teachers might tell you that you're based on, based according to your potential future. No, you are in Christ. Christ is in you. He is your identity. Don't let the world steal that away from you. Christ in you, Paul says. Christ in you now. Christ in you forever. This is our identity. We have a new, entirely new ID. It's got a really long, one of those stretchy things you can pull out, pop open the door and put back in. That leads you to an entirely different perspective about the whole world and your purpose, and your goals, and your mission. Marvel at the marvelous mission of God. The dead are alive and the lost are found. He has loved us and pursued us and saved us, and it doesn't even end with us. It was never about us in the first place. And so we say in every way, the more mature we grow, the more clear it becomes. The more mature we get this and understand this and marvel at it, the more clear it becomes for us and our lives. The less entangled we are with the things of this world, the more our heart breaks for the perishing in this world. It's not all the social ills that make us groan. It's not the loneliness that makes you groan and see this world through blue-colored lenses, the brokenness, the sickness, the abuse, the wars, the hate. No, although they're all there and they are all heartbreaking, we no longer see people. 
We no longer see people the way we used to see people, but instead, we embrace our therefore. Let everyone else have their therefores. This is our therefore, verse 20 again, one last time. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. You do this everywhere you go in Knoxville. We implore you on behalf of Christ. We persuade you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't let, don't let anyone keep you from the offer of forgiveness for every wrong you have ever done done, every evil deed, every consequence, all the shame, all the guilt, you can exchange all of it for his sinful, sinless life. Today, that offer stands for all of us. I'm taking it again today. Believe, confess, come out of the shadows and allow him, allow him to wash you as he has so many others, white as snow. If you think you can fix it, you're almost there. I love that testimony this morning. I can't remember your name, but that was so sweet to hear. I'm almost a Christian. Oh, it doesn't work like that. I thought I could fix myself. I did. But we can't. We need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. This is why you cornerstone. And you are this. And your example is compelling. It causes me want to do this all the more. You're not stuck in a situation that is irrelevant. You're not stuck in a situation that is irrelevant. You live here to say with everything God has given you, be reconciled to God. Yes. Can I pray for you? Father, Father, why would you save us? Why would you save us? Why would you love us? We confess we were running the other direction when you tripped us up and sent us going the opposite. And now our lives are marked by your grace and mercy and love forever. And we rejoice. May Cornerstone Church of Knoxville May they be your ambassadors for your son here in Knoxville, reaping the fruit, the fruit of your son's victory on the cross, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.